Support is provided in part by Conway Shield. Those who answer the call and risk it all for the safety and well-being of others deserve someone willing to give their all in return. Conway Shield is built on the shoulders of three service legacies. Customizing the nation's very best firefighting shields has expanded to providing the most effective technology, tools, and training for today's fire and law leaders. Learn more at ConwayShield.com. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Under Fire, Humanizing the Narrative podcast. I'm your host, Patty Murphy. The recording you'll hear in this episode took place at our National Leadership and Performance Summit in Annapolis, Maryland, in April 2023. We hope you enjoy this conversation and its many takeaways and encourage listeners to tune in to our previous episode, number 112, as it features the first talk of the summit, which we refer to during the episode. So I know for many of you in this room, my next guest needs no introduction, but for the few that don't know, Captain Liam Flaherty joined the FDNY in 1990. He currently serves as the company commander of Rescue Company 2, which he's been assigned to for the past decade. Liam was previously assigned to Rescue Company 2 and Ladder Company 157 as a lieutenant and Rescue Company 4 and Ladder Company 44 as a firefighter. He's an adjunct instructor at the FDNY's Technical Rescue School and was instrumental in the development of the course curriculum for the Advanced Firefighter Rescue and Removal Training for FDNY Special Operations Command Firefighters and Fire Officers. As many in the audience know, Fireground commanders rely on the experience and capabilities of rescue companies at complex fires and emergencies. More specifically, incident commanders rely on rescue companies to problem solve at fires where members are in distress or conditions make members more susceptible to distress. Liam is one of the FDNY's most experienced and respected fireground leaders and one of the department's most fervent advocates for mission-oriented service. Perhaps equally significant, Liam led the FDNY's Emerald Society Band at several hundred line-of-duty funerals over the course of the past 25-plus years. Liam, so happy to have you here with us today. Thanks, Patty. (laughs) I want to start by exploring who are some of the firefighters, officers, and chief officers who you sought to emulate in the early years of your career, and what traits and attributes did they possess that you found to be admirable? Okay, uh, thanks for the uh, great introduction. You know, uh, I kind of read, I'm like, wow, that sounds pretty good. Uh, We did, uh, I just want to preface, you know, we're going to talk about some heavy stuff here, uh, some some tragedy and, uh, you know, resilience. And uh, I did this, uh, I did something with Jay uh, a few weeks ago down in Fairfax, and uh, it kind of like had a dark dark tone to it. And then uh, after we were over and I was driving home, I was, I was kind of thinking half of the guys would probably resign from the fire service after the stuff I talked about. But I just like to say that uh, you know, of all the tragedy and hard times that, that a lot of us have been through, you know, there's been way more laughs than tears, and I, I still love the job. And uh, I wish I would have said that the other day. So I, I just want to get that out first. As far as uh, you know, mentors and uh, guys I've looked up to, you know, I, I listed a few. You know, I just wanted to give them justice. Uh, first and foremost, I'd probably say Tommy Richardson. Uh, we were talking about him last night. Uh, he was chief of department. He just retired after uh, three decades of service. Uh, top to bottom, one of the most amazing guys I've ever met in the fire service. Uh, you know, he's a rescue two firefighter, uh, fantastic chief. Uh, had multiple fires with him, uh, some very challenging fires, and he was always like one of these guys that always could keep his head dialed in straight and uh, basically be in the zone, not not go off the back of the curve and. Uh, I seen him actually by his command presence and running a fire a lot of times uh, steer a fire away from uh, tragedy, certain tragedy. In addition to that, which I thought was his real superpower, and uh, you know, I, everybody here knows what I'm talking about. You know, uh, in Rescue Two, around five o'clock in the afternoon, when the, before the change of tours, we usually have what's called a hate hour. You know, so everyone sits down at the table and. Uh, it's uh, the Seinfeld line, the airing of grievances, and you know everyone starts talking about you know this and you know this sucks and that sucks and uh, 
Tommy Richardson is the type of guy, he'll come into the room and he'll just immediately brighten up the room and he'll always, that was his superpower, he'll always find, you know, the good side of things. Like uh, Ty was saying before about the uh, submarine commander, just saying that, uh, you know, hey, this is a great opportunity. And Tommy, Tommy Richardson was that guy forever optimistic. And uh, I mean, you want to be a great leader, like you, you bring that into your crew or wherever you are. Uh, that's, that's, uh, that's something that I, I took from him and I try to live up to that. You know, I, I fail miserably a lot with that. But uh, the other one, another, another uh, icon in New York City, uh, uh, Captain John Vigiano. Uh, I know Jay was very tight with him. I was very tight with him. Uh, Storied fire officer, Marine, uh, just like everything you'd want a captain. You know, he, he, he stayed a captain. I kind of modeled myself after him in a way. Like, uh, I never took the next step up to the chief's rank. You know, they call it ABC in, in, in New York City, acting battalion chief. But I, I call ABC always be captain. I tell all the captains, like, you know, just, uh, just say that. Vigiano's uh, takeaway, like, you want to talk about resilience, the guy was Riddled with cancer, uh, he survived it, came back to the, to the fire service, you know, they took half of his neck out. Anybody else, you know, would have retired and uh, just went on their way and enjoyed their pension, but that wasn't the vig, you know, and then uh, raised two amazing sons, and, uh, you know, I'm sure everybody here knows the story. Lost both of them on 9-11, one was a cop, one was a fireman, and uh, again, you know, he could have closed his doors, pulled his curtains, and uh, spent the rest of his life, like, uh, Morning and uh, you know just uh, stepping away, but that wasn't the vig. You know the vig. Uh, he he took that and he uh, became a, a spokesperson for the fire service. He traveled all over the world. The military told the story of his sons. He's just uh, he he was the the picture of resilience. You know, uh, one of my fondest memories. Uh, we we were doing a lot of uh, training with uh, special forces guys. Uh, guys from Fort Bragg and, uh, and, and brothers from the SEALs, and they would come up to New York, and uh, we were doing fire operations, breaching and breaking, like rope work and stuff, and uh, I wanted to make it really special. Uh, this uh, certain group, unit guys came up from Fort Bragg, and I, I, I was thinking, like, how can I make this, like, a great experience for them? And I, I, brought, I brought the Vig in. He came in from Deer Park. You know, they drove him in. He sat in Rescue 2's kitchen, and, it, you know, kind of a setting like this, and he got up, and he... He told his whole story, the fire service, and uh, about his sons, and uh, he literally spoke without pause for an hour. And uh, his, his recall, you know, like was incredible at his age. And it told his whole story. He could have heard a pin drop, and walked out. And it, you know, these guys were all Delta Force operators with you know multiple combat deployments, and they they were you know they, their jaws dropped. They said that was the most amazing thing we've ever seen, and uh, you know. The Vig, uh, you know, we lost him uh, a couple of years ago, and, uh, you know, I miss him every day. So that's another uh, mentor and uh, somebody I looked up to. Uh, I'll, I don't want to take all day, but I'll go through it. You know, my captain rescue four, Jack Corcoran, uh, when I was a young firefighter, I heard him say something to uh, one of the guys who was getting promoted. He, he, he told him, Timmy, uh, don't give too many orders. The men might listen. So, uh, you know, as a young firefighter, I, you know, I, I, kind of didn't resonate with me, but, you know, looking back now with some experience, you know, basically what he was saying was, uh, you know, train you guys right and, and just don't micromanage them. Like, trust the system. If, if, you, uh, if you have good people, you're surrounded by good people, uh, you don't have to give too many orders. You know, if, if you're doing the right thing and your ship is running right to your firehouse, you won't, have to, uh, you won't have to bark out orders all the time. If you're, I always say, like, as, as captain, if I'm giving orders, and I, I have to start jumping in and, and taking the reins. And something, something's going wrong. Something's, uh, something's not going the right way. Vinny Fowler, member of my family. He was my brother-in-law. We lost him uh, in the fire in 1999. My takeaway from him was humor. You know, he always kept things light. You know, he, he'd always have a joke. You know, no matter how bad things were going, he'd always, like, be there with a good, good, good line or a quip and uh, kind of lighten the mood. And, uh, you know, I'll... I'll Probably going to talk about that in a little bit. Like uh, that—that's another superpower on the fire ground. If you—if you could keep that levity, uh, even when uh, the whole world is spinning around you and things are going bad, like that—that's—that's uh, that's definitely a, a quality. And uh, you know, last guy would be uh, Harry Ford. He was my senior guy in Rescue Four. Uh, we lost him on uh, Father's Day in uh, 2001. 
in a hardware store explosion. And uh, Harry, uh, Harry had like this, uh, he just had this uh, nose for the ball and he, he could just see through, uh, he could see through the noise. And he, he, he was a guy like the quintessential zone guy. He was always at, at, at the top, you know, just, he was never left or right. He was just, uh, he, was, he was the man, you know. So uh, it was quoted that uh, when we lost him on Father's Day, you know, we all said we lost Superman. So uh, yeah, he's another guy I miss every day too. Um, okay, that, that's, that'd be it. There's, there's, you know, obviously there's countless others, but those guys came to mind right away. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. And one thing I'll add for the people that I do know from that list, another thing they all have in common is humility, very down to earth yes. people. Yes. And that's yeah. another superpower, I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm very humble. I'm like the humblest guy I know. <laughs> well, on that note, you've been a firefighter, a lieutenant, and a captain in rescue companies. So what aspects of the FDNY's mission and rescue company mission resonate with you? I, I was just talking with Jimmy about this. And, uh, you know, you, you made a great point. Well, like, uh, I, I do have the luxury. And like Ty was saying, you know, wh whoever shows up on the submarine, that's his guy. I, I do, I do get to pick my team, you know, which is uh, which is a blessing. So uh, I do look for certain qualities. Character is 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 a huge thing. Probably the biggest one is, is the guy's character, uh, experience, of course, um, being teachable, humble. You know, uh, if I get that team, like you know, it's it, again, it's it's another platitude, secret to life, is you surround yourself with great people. You know, so that that's what I have in rescue too. And uh, there's a certain eth ethos to the place. You know, and uh, and what's really the most rewarding thing about it is, uh, you know, like you know, you, you go to hundreds of fires and emergencies, and you know, a lot of them are routine, and uh, you know, uh, you, you don't make a big impact. But what what was really the most gratifying thing and the most rewarding thing about being uh, captain, officer, or firefighter in the place is, uh, you know, those career fires. Like when you go to the ones where, uh, you know, where everyone's taking a step back, it's out a bunch of windows, or it's spreading it to other buildings, or there's people trapped, or there's a mayday, or, uh, you know, or, or any kind of emergency, like uh, we just had that uh, trench rescue the other day in JFK Airport, or the garage uh, collapsed the other day, you know, going to stuff like that, you know, and, and being able to come in there and, and kind of change the course of an incident. And a lot of times you can, you know, like you're coming in there with the A-team, a bunch of been there, done that, uh, firefighters, uh, being there with that kind of experience and, and being around a while, it, that, that, that's probably been the most gratifying thing. Going to a fire where it's going off the rails, being able to put it back on the rails and, you know, have a good outcome, you know. It doesn't happen all the time, of course, but uh, when it does, that's as good as it gets piggybacking off of changing the course of an incident, what's the mindset that you seek to cultivate and foster for those under your command as a captain of a rescue company, so influencing those around you? The mindset, it's funny, like, there's like a little bit of a different, there's five rescue companies in New York City, all five of them have a, have a little bit of a different mindset. Brooklyn is a, is a very aggressive borough, you know, uh, I think that's because we have a lot of single engine companies and and some uh, tight response areas, so companies race, race each other. And I was trying to, I was trying to figure out like the, uh, the mentality of every borough. And, and Brooklyn is a very aggressive, and uh, that kind of breeds that kind of culture in the borough. And uh, that's the culture, you know, now rescue too, being the, the rescue for the whole borough. Like that's what's brought in. Uh, I'm big on problem solvers, you know. Uh, thinking on your feet, like being the best, you know, and again, not, not, not having to say you're the best, you know, just like having that kind of a humble confidence. A line doesn't have to say it's a line, you know, like, uh, you know, that, that kind of, uh, you know, you've been there, done that. The humility thing, like even if you do something great at a fire, not, not going around talking about it, you know, coming back and uh, just, you know, everybody knows what you did, you know, and I, I love that. I, I love, uh, that, that humble warrior, like that, that really is uh, the ethos that I try and uh, push in, in our company. And uh, if, you, if you do get too arrogant or cocky, like uh, our, our kitchen table has a way of uh, taking you down back to your uh, base. Yeah, yeah. If you ever want to, if you ever feel really confident, full of yourself, just go at 5, 5 p.m. to Rescue 2's kitchen and start talking, and uh, the guys will bring you right back down. Yeah, yeah. So. That's helpful. 
is there anything that you tease out when you're interviewing people for the company that you kind of pick up on? And uh, yeah, again, uh, we we've done uh, a bunch of stuff with uh, special ops community, the military, and uh, I, I really like that that a lot of stuff they do for selection. You know, the the one that really resonates is that uh, 360 uh, peer review. So you know, when guys come here coming in for interview, I, I I basically say you know. All right, you sound great. Like you, you come from a great place. You have all this experience, but the the truth, sir. I mean, I was told this by uh, uh, Vinnie Fowler, uh, who was the father of uh, you know Vinnie Jr. Uh, he was uh, another uh, icon of mine that I looked up to, and uh, he says, you know, I could tell all you guys right here, right now, I'm the greatest firefighter in the world. And I'm good at this and I'm good at that, but you know, you know who you can't lie to. Again, it comes back to the kitchen table. Like if you're day in and day out working tours with, with someone. Everybody that works with you day in and day out knows exactly what you're about. They know your character. They know what you will do, what you're good at, what you won't do. Uh, again, resonate with what Ty said before. You, you find out everybody's strengths and weaknesses. And you know we're together a lot in, in the firehouse. And uh, so the empirical data, like the stuff that I go for, is uh, you know I'll ask around. I'll ask. Guys that work with them day in and day out, you know, what, what kind of character. And I, I tell guys straight up, you know, like if uh, if I get responses like, uh, yeah, yeah, I know, you know, that that's like death rattle for you coming here. Or if I get like, uh, yeah, you know, he's, he's the best, best guy in the firehouse. He's this, he's that. I go, you know, that moves him up. So like that, that is, uh, that's part, you know, and obviously time and experience and special skills and all that stuff, you know, that, that's, uh, that's important too. Excellent. So I want to preface this next question by sharing that those actively involved with the FDNY MPI program and similar efforts within LUF continue to express concerns that well-intended efforts, like we heard earlier, to foster institutional learning have created an institutional file cabinet that overwhelmingly favors red file cabinet fires and case studies, but oddly neglects the fires where the outcome was favorable. It's fair to say that you've led and operated a considerable number of fires over your career, several ending in death and tragedy, and an overwhelming majority ending favorably despite innumerable obstacles and challenges. So how do you balance a respect and awareness for the red file cabinet contingencies with a mindset that largely leans optimistically towards green? Yeah, th this, this is great. You know, uh, we, we've kind of beat this around over the last few years. I like that term Jay used the other day, case study. As soon as you hear case study, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a fire. It's, it's always a, a fire that ended in tragedy and, uh, you know, bad outcome. Uh, I mean, you do have to go over those fires. You do have to know, you know, history repeats itself and you have to be aware of that. But you also have to balance that kind of like going off the back end of the curve. It, it is a balance. Like uh, I, I tell the story, yeah, after 9-11, we lost 100 guys in the command. So uh, I was an instructor. We, we started the, uh, the Trapped and Missing Members class and uh, I was doing the foulest scenario because he, he was my brother-in-law. Like the scenario was, it was a cellar fire, uh, heavy fire in the rear. They, they couldn't find, there was a partition wall put up. The fire was blowing out like the rear windows. Uh, kept going back and forth trying to find a door. They ran out of air. Big guy, uh, he went down, took his face piece off, uh, took a few breaths. He went down. Really very difficult re removal. Took like 20 minutes to get him back out to the yard. And, you know, he, he, we lost him. So, uh, you know, I would run this, this fallow scenario drill, uh, you know, large firefighter dummy, like trapped down in cellar and, you know, send, send cruiser guys, all these new guys coming into SOC. So I was doing this, you know, day in and day out for, for months, you know, so, uh, so back in the firehouse one night, we're going to, it happened in Queens, and at the time I was working in Queens, where Vinny lost his life down in South Ozone Park, and we're going to a fire in South Ozone Park, it's, it sounds eerily the same, you know, one and a half story ranch, heavy fire in the basement, can't find it, or having trouble, you know, getting to the seat of it. And I, I started, you know, we talk about those slides. I, I, I didn't realize it, you know, but I'm having all these really, like, you know, morose thoughts and like, this is gonna go bad, like, and, uh, you know, and uh, I'm, I'm 
I'm usually not like that. I'm, I'm always kind of, you know, I was, I was always, uh, you know, we're going to fives, like, you know, upbeat and, uh, you know, ex expecting the best. And then I, I didn't realize, you know, I didn't realize it took me a, a couple of days. And then I, I figured it out that I'm, I'm doing this drill so much that I'm actually programming my mind to, to like think this way. Like, uh, I wrote that down, like, like a Pavlov's dog, you know, ringing the dinner bell and, and salivating. Like I, so I was, I was, I was basically like poisoning my mind, you know, with uh, d doing this over and over again. So uh, I was, I was talking to Jerry about a couple of years ago, and I was saying, you know, like we really should do a lot more with, with, with fires where you know there was adversity and we overcame it, and it was a good outcome, you know. So I would just say that that's another takeaway when you guys are out there when you're drilling. Don't always like uh, drill on dropping a guy down in the basement, you know. Dr drill on like a fire with a good outcome, or you know. We couldn't find a fire that we wound up breaching a wall, bringing a line around this way, or uh, you know, or uh, there was people trapped and we got them out. And, you know, like uh, we we do talk about those fires, but we don't really uh, dwell on them like we do with the fatal fires. So uh, I think uh, you definitely have to strike a balance with that with your drills, you know, and definitely I'd, I'd even focus more on the green slides. Like I like that the green and the red slides. You know, have the red slides there. Like you know, you don't want to be ignorant, and and you want to see like when it, when something's going off the backside of the curve and the fire's going sideways, you know. But also when you do drill on the green green slides and fires where you did you did a good job, that that does build your confidence up, and you know you you want to go in confident and ready to take on whatever it is, you know. If you're, if, you know, I'm saying from personal experience, I w I was drilling constantly on Mayday fires, and it it, it kind of slid my thinking for a while until I was aware of it and I kind of brought myself uh, back back off the brink of that, you know. Is there anything else you want to share about how you personally manage and absorb the red file cabinet? Like, how did you stop yourself from ruminating and, and bring yourself back? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think a lot of this stuff, uh, this was really eye-opening when I, you know, when we started uh, going into this. And I started thinking of past fires, you know, previous to 2012 where I was less than or I, I thought I could have done better and uh, a lot of it's awareness you know just being aware of it you know like I was aware like you know, all right you know that's that's me thinking about doing the drills at the rock with uh, pulling Vinny out of the cellar you know and a lot of it uh, a lot of times now when I kind of feel like uh, you know we're driving to a fire and, uh, you know, you're getting reports, heavy, heavy, you know, getting a bad report, there's people trapped, or uh, we can't find a fire, or it's extending, banging the second alarm in. You know, I say this in the room now, you, you, you'll, you'll feel like your pulse start to go up, the, you know, the hair on the back of your neck going up, those kind of radio reports. When I realize, when I feel that, you know, I'm aware of it now. Like, and, uh, you know, I'll, I'll do the breath, or I'll, I'll have my, my, my habits, you know, like, uh, mentally like start calming myself down because uh, I'm aware of the, you know, that my pulse rate is going up, you know, like, and I, I'm starting to feel the effects of stress. Just being aware of it, like, you got, that's going to be a big takeaway for those of you who, who haven't tried this or, you know, aren't, it's your first time being exposed to this. You, you'll come away from this and, you know, you're on the rig and you're going to something that sounds like it's, it's, it's going to get real, you know, just just be aware of your, your physiology and, and realize that, you know, your heart rate's going up and you, you can control that, you know. You can physically, like, start breathing, you know, just uh, your, your self-talk, you know, keep on top of that. And uh, it absolutely works. It, it's, uh, it's a life skill, too. It's not even just on the fire ground, you know, like it's you're in traffic or, uh, you know, your wife or your girlfriend's giving you a hard time and you're ready to snap and you're just like, whoa, wait a second, I can feel it starting to go up. And you, you can you can bring it down. It makes you uh, just makes you a better human being in, in every aspect, not not even just on the fire ground. So uh, I said like I, I wanted to get uh, these stickers for the rig that just said like you know when I'm sitting up in a cab that just says breathe, you know that just says it. And like it, you know even like three in the morning when you're going out and it's uh, it sounds like it's 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 going to go sideways. You know you just look at that and, and just breathe and kind of center yourself. Uh, just uh, awareness to me it was the biggest thing, you know, and I, I'm definitely uh, very cognizant of that now when I go and it's, it sounds like it's, you know, going to get real. Dr. Jonathan Fader has shared a mantra that I use that is helpful, and it's very simple, this moment. All right, there you go, yeah. Bring it back to the present. Yeah, right, right. 
focus on the task at hand. Right. That that's that's great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't start playing movies in your head like how it's gonna go. Like you know, just this is what this is what we're doing right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm gonna mention Ty. Your talk this morning was phenomenal. A lot of information shared in a short amount of time. But uh, you talked about opportunity. You brought it up several times. What do you do to cultivate confidence at fires and emergencies, not only in yourself, but in others, so that they can think about actions on the fire ground as opportunities versus threats? Uh, it's, uh, that's a great question. Well, first off, I'll say there is no substitute for experience. You know, like if, if you lived it before, if you've, if you've been through it, you, you do you do develop confidence th through the years, like, uh, and it's a shame, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, you get guys that, that, that are really good and then they retire or they leave. And uh, I'd, I'd say like, I'd say like in the military, it's big, like, you know, use, unless they, they make a career out of it, but you know, people that serve or do like a couple of years of service, you know, probably like when they're getting their stride or they're starting to get their chops up, you know, they, they leave and go, go off to, uh, off to a, another endeavor. Now, if you can't get experience, you know, I do what everybody in this room is doing, like come come to stuff like this or uh, live vicariously through other other others' experiences. You know, that's a big thing. You know, you come in uh, the tour, you were leaving the tour going off and they had a fire, like, you know, you, you're, uh, you're, you're picking their brains and trying to pull the best practices of that. And then, uh, you know, again, like, uh, you just keep setting the bar higher, like, uh, the more experience you get, you know, you keep lifting the bar, and uh, that's uh, that's what I would say is, uh, you know, good, you know, and uh, being a student of the game, you know, we call guys buffs, you know, because they want they want to, you know, read up on this farm. You know, I go, listen, man, I, I go, it's it's kind of like a dirty word, like in New York, you know, a guy, oh, you're a buff, you know, you, you want to know about this fire, that fire, you're reading this, you know, you're geeking out on on, on a magazine. I go, that that's an excellent firefighter. Every good or great firefighter is is a buff. Like, uh, so, you know, you should be a student of the game. You should be reading. You know, you should come in every tour pu pulling something off the rig or, 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 or reading something or, you know, it shouldn't go, a tour shouldn't go by where you don't learn something. And, uh, you know, that's the best way to build confidence is, you know, my experience. So speaking of continued learning, and you talked about it earlier a little bit, but do you want to share more about the genesis for the FDNY's Technical Rescue School and specifically the department's Advanced Firefighter Victim Removal Course? And I have written here, managing the residue. So uh, what do you define as the residue? Uh, well, actually, we kind of hit that a little before, like that, that, that Pavlov's dog uh, thing. You know, we, uh, the Firefighter Rescue Course, we, we've taken, uh, you know, red slide fires that we've had over the years in New York, uh, and we reproduce them as realistically as possible, you know, in, in, at the training academy. And all the new members that come into SOC have to go through this. It's, uh, it's a crucible. It's, it's, uh, everyone comes away from saying it's the best course that we run. I'm pretty proud of that. You know, I, I, I've, been, I've been a part of it for, uh, since, since its inception. And uh, we got guys that were at those fires, like, uh, that take, take it serious, you know, like they, they really make it like as hard as possible. The one thing that you can't reproduce, you can kind of reproduce it, but uh, at, at, in training, and uh, me and Jimmy were talking about it, is, is the unknown, you know, like you, you could kind of make it unknown, but you know, a lot of times when you're at, you're at a drill, you, you know, you know, you're gonna come out of it uh, all right. But uh, this advanced firefighter course, uh, again, um, our job had a, a, a reckoning uh, when Vinnie Fowler died in, that, in the basement in 99. Uh, only the rescue companies uh, practiced these uh, firefighter rescue techniques. And uh, it was almost like, you know, we were keeping it to ourselves. You know, I was a young guy, you know, and I, I didn't realize, I, I didn't uh, recognize that we weren't sharing it with, like, a lot of companies. We, we didn't have a FAST or a RIT or any of that stuff. And uh, everyone kind of, it was always, like, kind of delegated to the rescue company to make it happen if, if a firefighter got trapped, you know, and that, that was kind of unrealistic, you know, with the geographical size of the borough, like uh, when Vinnie got jammed up down in Ozone Park, you know, Rescue 4 was on the other side of the borough, so it, it took them a, a long time to get there to, uh, to get them out. So uh, 
that's when we came up with the Trapped and Missing Members Bulletin in our books, and it was, it was spread throughout the job, and then everyone started practicing this stuff, and they took it out of uh, the, the uh, our advanced firefighter uh, removal. You know, and then it, it just, uh, again, we, we keep uh, updating it and, and bringing in, like, other fires or situations, and, uh, you know, it's, it's just, uh, it's been, it's been uh, a, a very uh, positive thing for uh, bringing members in. I want to talk a little bit more about operating at challenging and complex fires. What practices have you adopted over the years to help you remain centered and get back to center at fires where unforgiving conditions have pushed firefighters, company officers, and perhaps even chief officers to the backside of the performance curve? Again, uh, we were talking earlier too about trust and uh, personal relationships. In Brooklyn, you know, I try to foster relationships with all the incident commanders, like or who will be an incident commander, and, and with the local companies. Uh, again, like uh, f familiarity and, and knowing who you're working with, uh, that will kind of help keeping you centered. Uh, Jim was talking before about like when, when you got unfamiliar people or uh, you know like details or stuff. Sometimes that, that can cause uh, like. Uh, trepidation at a fire. The breath work, I, I think, is really important. Uh, you know, even pulling, like, uh, from Vinnie Fowl, like, uh, keeping it light. Sometimes, you know, at a fire, I'm going up the stairs and the, the engine's stretching, you know, like, just, just making a, you know, comment, like, oh, man, it looks like we got a doozy here. Or even just saying hello to the guys as we're going up, even though, like, this fire's unraveling. Like, if you could kind of, like, uh, was it Joe Montana? You know, in the Super Bowl, like, you know, he's got the guys in the huddle and he, he go, goes over and he goes, hey, look, John Candy's in the stands. And he kind of like, uh, you know, kind of took, took the edge off of stuff. If you, if you could say stuff like that, you know, at, at a fire or like you, you could kind of keep it light, like that, that is a way to kind of bring it back. The other thing is, uh, you know, that we're talking about how do you know when a fire is starting to unravel. Like you, you, you can hear it in the voices. Like I, I, that's usually the first sign. So, uh I, I've always tried as, as much as I can, and uh, I think that uh, I read it in that bo book, Deep Survival. Like uh, I like that line, fighter pilot voice. You know, when you're talking on the radio, like just just real cool uh, transmissions. That that absolutely can uh, take a fire and, and kind of center it. You know, screaming is contagious, and also calm is contagious. So you know, you could take it any way you want. So as the rescue officer. I always feel like I have to be the coolest cat on the fire ground. So I, I actually think to myself like that, and I talk like that, and it, it, it calms me down too. You know, it's uh, even even if my heart is beating. You know, if I, I say I got to take the temperature down on this fire, the incident command is getting ready to pull us out, or uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's going haywire. You know, I just try and give a give a transmission to just kind of calm it, calm it down. You know, and that is. Uh, a good way to bring it back. Those are some good tangibles. Is there anything else you want to share about the art of managing up and down the chain of command in an incident that's going sideways? Um, again, uh, you know, I'm, I'm coming in. Uh, there is a certain confidence, you know, coming in with, with the company I'm in. The other thing I was talking, I was just thinking about it before is uh, we were talking about span of control and uh, sometimes, like an escalating incident, Chief's got like 17 balls in the air, you know, and it, you, you come in and ask him like, you know, what should I do? What do you need me to do? I, I always come in and I'll take something off the Chief's plate. I'll, I'll say, uh, hey man, looks like you got extension into here. I, I'm gonna go check that. I'm gonna send the guy over and try and like take take stuff off his plate to kind of bring him down. Uh, putting the fire out, you know, that, that uh, you know, that old adage, 17 things are going wrong. You put the fire out, 16 of them go away. You know, like, so that's uh, another uh, thing. So you were at the inaugural LUF conference in 2012, and you were on the ground floor of the FDNY's Mental Performance Initiative. Do you have any individual practices that you've adopted, which you have talked about, self-talk, breathing, but really what has changed your perspective and um, how has that contributed to longevity? I have adapt, uh, adopted it, but uh, you have to pledge. This is like a lifelong endeavor. You you have to really uh, was it like recidivism? Like you, you'll go back to default mode. You you really have to uh, keep re-reminding yourself 
and keep practicing these practices, but like for the rest of your life, you know. So uh, I know some guys like, uh, you, know, you know, they went through it, and the next thing, uh, you know, they, they it just gets put on the back burner, and, and, and they don't think about it again. But, you know, even say like when you, when you leave here, you know, after a seminar is over and you're just driving home, like just even using it, like somebody cuts you off in traffic, uh, you know, just uh, kind of pledge, pledge a lifelong, you know, uh, allegiance to these, these tactics and, and, uh, and use them. Yeah. Are there any resources like books or podcasts or documentaries that you turn to for inspiration? I listen to a lot of those, uh, you know, the military interviews. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of the guy's name, Sean Ryan or something. Like, uh, he's good, you know, like the LUF podcast and uh, stuff where uh, guys were in extreme circumstances and, uh, you know, came out came out the other side and just listening to their mindsets and, their, you know, that stuff like that's really good. Sebastian Younger's, uh, you know, Tribe, you know, that book's uh, phenomenal. I don't know if anybody's, I'm sure guys in the room have read it, but. You know, it's it's worth reading and rereading. That that book uh, just basically like nails it. You know, with all the stuff in the fire service and, and uh, you know just resilience and a fantastic book. Are there any leaders and operators you collaborate with in other high risk industries that you glean from? You have obviously mentioned special forces, but anything else? We've done a lot of stuff with the special forces guys. You know, that that that's what I would say with the answer. You know, they they're uh, an amazing group. You know, and uh, kind of we we kind of feed off of each other. We got paid like a huge compliment like one time, you know, we were with uh, all these uh, DevGo guys, you know, SEAL Team 6 guys, and, uh, you know, I'm like kind of just saying how great they are and, uh, you know, fangirling on them. And, uh, you know, so the guys are going to me like, no, nah, you guys are, uh, you guys are amazing, you know. And uh, I said, you know, how, how so, you know, how, how do we measure up? He goes, uh, he says, we did the Bin Laden raid. He goes, uh, we built a mock-up. We stormed that thing a hundred times, you know, like, uh, you know, because you guys go out the door, you pull around the corner at three in the morning, fires out, you know, 10 windows and there's people trapped. He goes, you, you don't have, you don't have any of that. You, you, you're going totally into the unknown. That is probably the biggest driver of stress is, is, is like, you know, the unknown of our job, you know, going in and uh, trying to figure it out, trying to find it before it finds you. So uh, that was like a huge eye open. I know, I know, you know, I, we always kind of downplay what we do, uh, you know, we don't really, uh, we do it every day, and you don't really think how stressful uh, the toll it takes on you. But uh, this guy was a SEAL Team 6 operator, like, just telling, telling me that. And I was like, wow, you know, you're, you're right. You know, we, we are pretty amazing, you know, like, so, yeah, yeah. So yeah. humble. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, switching gears, before we wrap up and open it up to questions, I did want to revisit your 9-11 experience. And obviously, you mentioned earlier, you worked in a unit in a command that experienced inordinate loss in 2001 and also suffered loss um, on the Father's Day fire in 2001 when three firefighters, two from your company, were killed in a hardware store. So you've also led the FDNY's band at hundreds of line of duty funerals. What have you learned about how people respond to loss, good and bad? Um. The biggest thing, you know, you know, uh, is, is resilience. You know, like uh, people are resilient. People respond to loss to uh, very differently. I'm actually going to. We we uh, just had a just had a loss in the fires a couple of months ago, and uh, I'm dealing with the family. Uh, you know, one family and the way they react is, is totally different. We had like after 9/11, uh, there was there was families and wives that like uh, came in. Uh, cleaned out the locker. We never saw them again. They didn't want to have anything to do with anything FDNY. And we had other families that they were at the fires, you know, once a week worrying about us. And, uh, you know, and I, I wouldn't judge one way or the other. Every, everybody everybody grieves differently. The big thing afterwards, you know, they, there was all these, uh, the counseling unit went into overdrive. And uh, they were expecting, you know, I mean, I we lost all the guys in the fires that day. And, uh, you know, I lost probably like 100 plus guys that I know, good friends. And uh, they were expecting like, you know, uh, mass depression, suicides, you know, you know, everyone was bracing for the second wave. And, uh, you know, it was gonna, it was gonna hit the FDNY. And uh, they, there, was, there was some of that, but it was not to the extent that, we, you know, they were predicting. And then time went on, 
And uh, I, never, I never went for formal counseling or anything, but uh, you know, as time went on, I, I remember being angry and going through all the, all the stuff about PTSD or whatever, whatever it's called, uh, you know, just having, you know, just pissed off, you know, little things would, 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 would get you angry. I actually told the guys that now, you know, with the, the situation going on in the firehouse, you'll, you'll just see, like, uh, kind of what Ty was saying, even being on a submarine, like, you know, you know, you start getting, like, little things start to set you off. I remember going through all of that, you know, and uh, just being mad, and, uh, you know, and then time went by, and then I just, you know, I guess we were all changed from it, but, like, I felt better, and, uh, you know, and I, you know, we were saying, like, you know, how do we get through that, the whole PTSD thing? And then uh, Sebastian hits on it in the book, and it, it's that, 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 that whole tribe, the tribe stuff. And, I, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it here, about the kitchen table. Like, that was one thing that we always had, you know. Like, so I, we lost all the guys, but the guys that were still there, you know, we'd come back and we'd sit and we'd talk. And, uh, you know, right now, just even talking about this to you guys is, is, is therapeutic for me, just to, to tell, like, the war stories, like, uh, Sebastian talks about in tribe, you know, the, the Indian warriors would come back from from battle and they would tell tell the war stories and it was a, it was a, you know we're meant to be communal, we're meant to be together. Two million years of evolution, we're, we're tribal people. So uh, where it goes off the rails or it goes bad is when you don't have that. So the fire department, the fire service, that's why we're so resilient. Like you know, uh, it's it's we we have each other. And, uh, you know, I went down with, with, with uh, Sebastian and talked to, uh, talked to a bunch of brothers and sisters at Fort Bragg about this, the situation in the military and, you know, what it, all the suicides and stuff. You know, I, I, I'm really convinced that it was that, that you're, you're deployed, you're in combat, you go through these insane experiences, you know, like being in the fire service. But when they come back, you know, this guy goes to Boston, this guy goes to Phoenix, you know, this guy's in Iowa, and they, they break the tribe up, and then, you know, these guys go down the basement, start watching Netflix, playing these movies in their head, and they got no one to talk to, you know, so they don't have that, that off-gassing that you could do at the kitchen table, which we had. So, uh, you know, even the VFW stuff, uh, you know, I say, you know, getting together, uh, I heard the guys say, you know, like, different branches, you know, like uh, Ty would want to, talk to other, other submariners, uh, you know, Delta guys want to talk to other Delta guys, like, you know, it's got to be, like, your specific tribe, too. So, you know, I, I told guys, you know, you, you got to stay in contact and you got to watch. You got to watch uh, when, when guys go dark or they, they get silent or they go off to the side. You got you to keep an eye on them. So uh, just further on that, if, if that does happen and somebody goes off the grid, you know, which, you know, I'm watching guys now. You know, my guys, and I, you know, if I see someone acting out, or he's, or he's not acting out, or he's he's scarce, you know, you you gotta you gotta follow up on that, and uh, you gotta be thorough with it. Like, don't. If you ask me, are you okay? Like, Pat, I'm gonna say your natural response. Yeah, I'm good, right? You gotta ask again. You gotta ask three times. Are you good? What do you, what's good? You know, how, how's your family? You know, what, what are you doing? Are you sleeping right? Like, don't just say. Because I, I regret I had that, you know, more than once. I, you know, I, 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 was, I was watching a guy. He's reeling. And uh, I'm going, uh, hey, brother, you all right? You know, and he was a good friend of mine. And he says, yeah, I'm good. And then, you know, we kind of, you know, give him, give him his privacy. And, but all the signs were there, you know, and I, I, I let him go. And, uh, like, two weeks later, he wound up hanging himself, you know. And, uh, you know, if I knew now what I knew then, you know, I, I wouldn't have let it go. I would say, hey, bro, man, hang out here a second. Let, let's talk, you know, and just because, uh, especially for the, for the leaders, like uh, if, you, if your people know you care about them, you know, like if you just ask someone, are you okay? That, that's so superficial, you know, you just then you just walk off. But if you ask them over and over again and really get in, ask, you know, how's, how's, your, how's, your, how's your wife, how's your kids, how, you know, are you sleeping, are you, you know, they, they'll, they'll open up to you. And uh, that's another takeaway. So if you, if you have, like, some kind of life-altering incident and something crazy happens in, in you know, wherever you guys uh, are working, and just keep an eye on each other and just know that, like, that, that has ways of manifesting itself. You know, even if you think you're okay, you, you know, you're not. But 
you do get better. And you get better by being around your brothers and sisters and, and, just, and just talking it out and venting. At least it worked for me. And I'd say it probably works for 95% of, of the population. You know, obviously there's special cases where people got to go, you know, get medical treatment and stuff for it. But, you know, so... Can you share what counsel you received from Chief Ray Downey following the Father's Day fire? Yeah, so uh, that's that's a great story about him. You know, I, I kind of suppressed that for a, a long time, and I just brought it out. So uh, we had Father's Day. Uh, you know, again, we lost two guys in the firehouse and, and a neighboring company. We lost three guys. Uh, hardware store explosion. The guys got uh, guys got trapped in a, in a, in a basement, and uh, so. I remember going back to the firehouse. All the guys came in uh, off off duty, and uh, there's local companies, a bunch of chiefs. Everybody's at the firehouse. The rig pulls in, and uh, Chief Donnie's there. He was uh, he was a rescue battalion commander at the time, and uh, you know Ray Donnie never came to the firehouse. Like if he came to the firehouse, something was wrong. You know, something. Now obviously we had th this fire, but it was unusual to see him there unless uh, there was there was something really big, and I. Of course, you know, he was there because of uh, what had happened in Astoria. So uh, he walks in and, uh, you know, now Ray Downey was a you know, former Marine. He was a captain of rescue, too, for uh, you know, a decade. Like blood and guts, kind of like, uh, you know, I was kind of considered like almost like a, a Patton type of character. You know, not, not as brazen as Patton, but he was like kind of held in like this grizzled, uh, been there, done that, you know, leader, and, uh, you know, we obviously all idolized the guy. So he came in, we're all sitting in the kitchen, you know, very, uh, very quiet, and uh, I'm expecting Don, he's going to give us this, uh, you know, this uh, speech like, uh, kind of like Patton did in that hospital at the time with, uh, when he slapped a soldier type of speech, and he's going to go, uh, you know, all right, you know, we lost a couple of guys, you know, get back on the rig and that's do what you do best and uh, let, let's let's just bounce back and, and get at it. But uh, it, it wasn't that. It was it was 180 degrees the other way and I never saw him like that. He goes, uh, kind of when I was just talking to you guys, he, gives us, he talks to us, he goes like, listen, you guys think you're good, but you're not. He goes, and he had this guy next to him and he goes, this guy's Frankie Lito. He's from the FDNY counseling unit and I want you all to take his number and talk to him. And if, if you feel like reaching out, reach out. And uh, I, was, I was blown away, man. I, I never thought, you know, a guy like Downey would, would you know, would, would kind of push that counseling services. And uh, it was pretty amazing. And, uh, you know, again, I, I didn't really think about it f f uh, for, for years. But, you know, like th thinking about it now, like, you know, it's just uh, after all, all the stuff that's happened, you know, uh, I mean that that is something that's there. It's 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 in uh, it's it's in uh, I'm sure in all your departments you have it, and and it's a resource. Like if if you feel like you need it, or you feel like someone needs it, you know, just make sure you you reach out to it. You know. That's a positive note we can end the conversation on. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I I said uh, yeah don't don't all retire after this. You know like. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we can open it up to questions. So does anybody have any questions for Captain Flaherty? You talked about uh, responding to incidents and uh, going up to the chief and not requesting an assignment, but telling them where you're going to go fill in. Yeah. When you're going to a job like that, how do you identify soft spots? What are some things that you're looking for? Um, and how do you make a decision about where to put your company? Uh, yeah, it's, well, that goes, that goes back to size up, you know, uh, Depending on what kind of building it is, you know, like uh, I always try and put us into the uh, like the worst spot. You know, if it's like a brownstone fire and a low floor fire, I'll tell the chief I'll, I'll get the top floor for you. Or, or if there's you know some kind of hazard, like if it's uh, if you have like row frames and it's extending, I'll, you know, I'll send some guys there. What's good about my company too is uh, you know I, I have a bunch of experienced uh, firefighters, so I could split them up. You know, put them where I think they they need to be. Uh, they're kind of looking analytically at the job too. I I I say like I I feel like I have a bunch of lieutenants and captains on the back step in, in my rig. You know, and they're all students of the game, versed in building construction and you know, thousands of fires under their belt. You know, like so they, you know they kind of a been there, done that crew. And uh, what's good too is uh, 
being able to detach. You know, we don't have a set specific assignment when we go. Like, we send a can can firefighter to the fire floor to to, to make sure the fire is going out, and then usually I'll, I'll pick something up like that's not getting covered, like almost like a middle linebacker type of thing. I'll plug a hole that's not being plugged, but also being able to adapt on the fly and detach from what you're doing. So if you hear like something like there's a, a big one where like 1045s, which are victims, if there's victims in the fire apartment, that all, always throws a, a fire off the rails. You know, now you got to go in there, help them remove the victims. The searches don't get done. A lot of times it hampers the extinguishment, you know, so you, you go in there and, and help with that. Uh, you know, obviously a mayday is all hands on deck for that. And again, with, with all that stuff, if you have a mayday or you have victims or it's, if you put the fire out, then, you know, a lot of that stuff goes away. So we're, we're very big on that, you know, like just making sure like the can't the can firefighter is on that line. Like that's, uh, I don't like to use the word tunnel vision, but that member of, of Rescue 2 is probably the most tunnel vision. Like you don't leave that line. You make sure that the extinguishment effort's going on and you put the fire out, you know. A lot of times, too, if we, you know, if there's more lag time, we get there and guys are running about out of air, you know. If you, if you hear vibe alerts going off on the radio, you know, that should be a, a blinking red light for an incident commander or the RIT team that there might be a mayday coming, you know, because usually that's when guys find out that they're lost, you know. Now, now they're starting to figure out, like, oh, oh wait a second, my, you know, I'm running low on air, how, how do I get back out of here? So, you know, stuff like that I'll, I'll, I'll do. So, you know, I, yeah. I saw that uh, recently the company had to move out of its quarters on Bergen Street, oh, yeah. and um, it moved into a, another house with another company. So, no, no? single company still. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, do you feel <laughs> Not like? That I heard. <laughs> sorry. Do you feel like, as the company commander, maybe that the old firehouse was part of the identity of the company, and was there any change uh, in the company with the move that you noticed, or that you had to adapt uh, to? Yeah. The, the, the old place was like a cave. You know, so all my guys were deprived of sunlight, and they were mean and crotchety. And now, like, we have all sunlight going, and the, the, the mood is elevated. But, uh, no, uh, it, it's, uh, yeah, that was tough. You know, there, there's, there's a lot of sen sentimentality. You know, like, uh, we were in that firehouse for years. It's, it, you know, it was uh, built in uh, 1893. It was literally falling apart. We had, to, we had to leave it. We took a lot of it with us. You know, like, we, we took uh, a lot of the stuff down, and... Uh, it was amazing. Once we took everything off the wall, we realized how bad it was. It was it was almost uh, ready to collapse. And and you know, you go into a new firehouse or a new new court. It's it's very sterile. It, it's not home. But uh, you know, eventually, like that word "new" is nice. Like eventually, uh, you know, everyone started to say, "Hey, you know what? This is this isn't horrible." And we took a lot of memorabilia and a lot of stuff with us, and it's up on the walls. Like, you know, if you guys are ever in. In the city in Brooklyn, uh, you know, feel feel free to stop by. But uh, the the other big thing is uh, where we move strategically, like geographically, covering Brooklyn, is a better spot to get into more fires, you know, quicker. So uh, that was a good sell, to, you know, to bring the guys up because there was uh, there was obviously guys pushing back and like you know, angry or complaining, like you know why why don't we just stay here or fix this place, uh, you know, but. Uh, where, where we are now is, 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 is much better. It's a much better place. And, uh, you know, it's actually uh, breathed life back, in, back into my career, too. Like, it's awesome, you know. Yeah. Anyone else? I've only been focused on some of the, the negative stuff, but like, you've been through a ton of stuff. What's kept you going for 33 years to still show up to work and love what you do? Well, you know, we love this job, right? Like the, the job is amazing. Uh, th those fires I'm talking about, it's 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 uh, there's a lot of bad stuff that has happened, and uh, you know, so sometimes it's a little bit of a grind. We're just talking, to, you know. I'm, I'm not a golfer by any means, but you know, every now and then you hit like a really good shot, and it like you know, it, it, it reinvigorates you for the game, you know. So like those fires I was talking about before, like what. It doesn't get any better than that than when you go to like a fire that's really like challenging and you know you you go in there and and you kind of you make an impact that to me is is, is the most rewarding thing I, I think for all of us you know you go into something that's out of control you know like um, off the rails you know for all of you you guys have all, all been to this and then 
putting your nose to the grindstone, you know, grabbing a line or, or, or grabbing ladders, getting people out and, and putting, putting the fire out. Like, uh, it's, it's that, that roller coaster ride, like that adrenaline rush that, you know, you know, again, man, that's another line we use. We're adrenaline junkies. You're always looking for that fix again to do it again. And uh, it, it goes by fast. I was saying that the other day. You know, I, I, I was just at The Rock teaching yesterday, and I, I can remember being a probie. And it's 33 years late. I, I feel like I just left probie school. And it, it goes by like that, you know. And, it, you know, so it's a privilege, you know. It's, it's a privilege to be in, in the fire service. And, uh, you know, just make sure you enjoy every day and cherish it, man, because it, it goes by quick, you know. And then uh, you just uh, sometimes when, uh, you know, everyone in the kitchen, the table of hate, and you're getting the sad face on and everyone's uh, complaining about everything, you know, you got to – you got to refocus and get perspective and say, hey, man, I can't believe I'm doing this. I'm getting paid to do something that I love and, you know, like, and be around these amazing people. And, uh, you know, even just being here, you know, even being here in this room with all you guys, like, you know, it's just, it's, it's an amazing, uh, it's not a job, right? It's, it's a vocation. It's a, it's a calling. So uh, I, I'm super grateful. And, uh, you know, again, I, I'm joking around, like guys, like you got 33 years. I go, yeah, I'm halfway, you know, halfway through. Like so I got, you know, so uh, yeah, d definitely, uh, definitely enjoy it. You know, it's a great ride. Um, what are some of the uh, character traits you look for um, when you're picking new people for your company? The character, uh, you know, again, uh, being teachable, humility. There's another thing I stole from the military guys. It calls Spotlight Ranger. So they, they say the spotlight ranger is a guy that grabs a broom when the captain's around, and then when the captain's not around, he's, he's on his ass, you know, like, so, uh, so I love that term. And, it, you know, like, kind of self-motivators, you know, someone that's going to, like, Billy Moon, you know, uh, again, I'm not going to get down the, re the regret train, but the, the night before he died, the, the guy that just died, uh, we're in the kitchen talking. We're, we're up to, like, 2 in the morning. We're running, running around a bunch of runs. Two in the morning, you know, I'm, I'm going to go upstairs to do paperwork, you know, like not, not lie down, you know. Like, uh, so I'm going upstairs to do paperwork at two in the morning, and I, I walk, and there's Billy Moon, like with the compartments open. He's got he's got a whole compartment unloaded with all the tools. Like he, he's taking, like it's 2 a.m. I, I said, like that that kind of uh, character, you know, looking for, looking for guys like that, you know. And uh, uh, Ty was talking about, you know, morals, like, you know, just someone that, that's that's obviously a good person but you know the fire service like uh, we say like the uh the clock of humanity like the, the everyone in the fire service even the worst person in the fire service i always say is like in a 99 percentile of a pretty decent person just we we do attract like uh, amazing people you know so then luckily I, I get to choose from that amazing pool and i get to pick uh you know i'll, I'll go uh the other line I use all the time, I'll go to captains like in, in Brooklyn, like uh, from busy uh, companies, and I'll say, hey, who's your best guy? You know, and, uh, you know, that's what I want. You know, and then they'll go, oh, you, you know, I don't, you're not going to take another one of my guys. And I'm, so my line to them is always like, hey, when, when the wolf is at the door and, and Rescue 2 pulls up, who do you want to see getting out? Do you, do you want to see like some, uh, you know, less than, or you, you want to see like, you know, uh, the, the 1927 Yankees getting off of there, you know. So uh, I, that's that's what I'm looking for, like uh, you know, confident, humble, self-starters, not cute, you know. Like uh, and that cuteness factor, like someone that's like a square rooter or mathematician, someone that's like uh, not the not the best character. That gets sorted out. Like you you know the guys that you work with, you know. And and I know a lot of guys on the job. I start talking to guys, and I you you'll. Those guys get fished out pretty quick, you know, and then, uh, so, you know, that, that, that's, that's basically what I'm looking for, you know, and uh, I've done pretty well. I'm not batting a thousand, but, you know, I'm, I'm in the 900s, you know, so, yeah, 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 yeah. So humble. <laughs> well, that, that's with selection, not for me, you know, like, uh, as I wanted to say, yeah, before, uh, along the levels of humility, you know, like, uh, I, I think, like, uh, as, as a leader, too, if you're critiquing stuff, and uh, we were talking about some of the stuff, like, you know, th throw yourself on the sword first if you're critiquing and just say, like, I, I always go, like, you know, I could have done this better or done that better. Like, you know, just uh, don't go in this, uh, 
infallibility uh, thing where, where you're, uh, you know, well, I, I knew that and I knew this, you know, like that, that's, you, you don't get real feedback and, and nobody grows from that. Like if, if you screwed up, you know, own it. And like, uh, again, that, that's a chance to, to get better and better, better yourself and the company and the job, everything. Well, Liam, are you going to be around for a little bit? Yeah, yeah. So sure. if you guys have any more questions, feel free to speak with Liam. But thank you so much for a good morning. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, I said, uh, yeah, don't, don't all retire after this, you know, like. Uh, yeah. Thank you. The Leadership Under Fire podcast provides a platform that helps to prepare performance leaders to navigate the moral, mental, emotional, intellectual, and physical rigors in high-risk and ultra-competitive settings by developing strength of mind, body, character, and critical thought. For more on this, visit leadershipunderfire.com.